Well, Happy New Year to you. So glad you joined us today. You know, uh, this is a time of year where people often make resolutions. And uh, today I'm going to invite you to make a resolution. And I know some of you, maybe you made a, a physical like resolution, like you're going to eat less, you know, go on a diet, you're going to work out more, you're going to lose some weight, some kind of physical. Hey, that's great. Uh, maybe some of you made a financial resolution for this year. You know, you're going to spend less or you're going to save more or you're going to get out of debt. <clears throat> and that's a good kind of resolution to make. Some of you, maybe it's some kind of self-improvement. You know, you're going to learn a new language or you're going to learn a new skill or something. That's, that's all great. What I'm inviting you to do today is to make a spiritual kind of resolution. But I want to make, make it very clear. This is not a spiritual resolution that is about activity. It's a resolution that's about relationship. And I want to explain why that's so important. You see, uh, I, I grew up in the church. My parents raised me in the church. And I'm grateful that they raised me in the church. Learned lots of good uh, truths that have helped my life, shaped my life. <clears throat> but to be honest, the spiritual uh, heritage that I have, sometimes what, what I, the impression I got, the message I got, was that the good Christians go to a lot of religious activities. You know what I mean? Like, you know, if you're really good, you're a good Christian, you go to all of the meetings at the church. And then the other subtle message I would get is, and if you're going to be a good Christian, you have to do more. So you need to read your Bible more. You need to pray more. You need to uh, serve more. You need to give more. You need to do more. And of course, go to church more. And, and honestly, all of that just was a little bit exhausting to me. And, and it's like, I think the philosophy was, you know what, if we keep these good Christians busy enough, they'll get tired enough where they won't screw up, you know, they won't commit the big sins, way to go. I'm on, I'm not the only one. And then some of my friends who grew up in the Catholic tradition of the Christian faith, they told me they got the same kind of message. So they've told me that, that like their perspective of what it meant to be a good Christian, like if, you, if you're just, a, if you just want to be a decent Catholic, well, you have to go to mass on Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to be a good Catholic, well, you need to throw in some confessions in there and make sure you go to mass every week that you can. See, it's all about religious activity. And then, of course, you know the saintly Catholics are the ones who go to mass every day. Hallelujah. All right. And, and here, here's, here's the point. There's nothing wrong with religious activities. We have religious activities. But when the focus and the goal of your spiritual journey is religious activity, you end up losing the joy of the journey and you miss the whole point. And then there's some of you who didn't grow up in the church and you watched those of us who did. And you noticed all the religious activities that we tried to get to because we thought that's what it meant to be a good Christian. And, you know, if, and like I said, if, if I could just admit it, most of us just felt exhausted by all the activities we were supposed to go to. Yeah, I got someone shaking her. Yeah, me too. And then if we could be really honest, most of us couldn't keep all of the rules that we were trying to keep. And so we also felt like failures along the way. And so our unchurched friends saw all of this and they thought, pfft. I don't want nothing to do with that movement. If that's what Jesus' movement is all about, well, I'm out. And that's what this series, that's why, we're, we're, that's why I'm going to lead you through this series. 
Because when you're focused on religious activity instead of relationship, you miss the whole point of Jesus' movement. Jesus' movement, the movement he began, some call it Christianity, he called it the church. It is a movement not of activity but of relationship. It is about following a person we believe is alive and his name is Jesus. And when, 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 when the journey becomes about religious activity, you lose the joy of the journey. And so I'm calling us back to relationship. And what I think I've, I've noticed happen is when we raise our kids to think that Christianity is about religious activities that they don't want to go to, and then we, like, maybe we make them go to it, and then what happens when they grow up? They get out of high school, they go off to college, and they bail on the movement because they think it's all about religious activity because they never had the relationship. Well, let's fix that. The good news is the movement that Jesus actually started is very and is very and intentionally relational. So think back, those of you who have read some of the scriptures that tell his story, think about, about the language Jesus used when he talked about his movement. Jesus came to recast people's vision for what it meant to have a relationship with God. So get this. Jesus came along and he said, you know what? God, creator, God, God almighty, I want you to start calling God Father. I want you to view it like that. In fact, you remember when he taught people to pray? He said, this is what, how I want you to pray. Say, our Father who is in heaven. It's very relational. That, it just changes everything. And then did you also remember he, know, he, he called people to start viewing themselves as God's children? See, very relational. He even gave people permission to call God Father and to call themselves God's children before they actually got their act together. How cool is that? And think about it. When Jesus began this movement, he called the church. He used a certain metaphor to help them picture what this, this uh, relationship was all about. And so he said, look... And this meant something very important in the first century. He said, think about me as like I'm a good shepherd. And my job is to lead you and to protect you and to feed you and make your life better. And I want you to view yourself as my sheep. See, very relational. And do you remember how Jesus would invite people to be a part of his movement? He used a certain phrase, and it was not a religious term. You remember what he said? Follow me. Follow me me. He didn't say, follow my religion. He said, follow me. It's about a relationship. And so I want us to get back to the relational aspect of following Jesus. And, and here's what's interesting. Again, if you go back and look when Jesus started this movement, he invited all kinds of people with all kinds of backgrounds and all kinds of baggage to follow him. He didn't just invite good people and religious people and righteous people to follow him. In fact, quite the opposite. He invited the righteous and the unrighteous, the religious and the non-religious, the sinner and the saints. And he said, look, wherever you are, right there, you follow me. Now, I hope I'm messing with some of you. Because some of you, that's not what you thought Christianity was all about. Well, Jesus started the movement, so I'm going to go with what he says. And so today, I want us to look at one of the times he invited somebody to follow him, 
And I think this one is particularly important for those of you who are skeptical about religion in general and about Christianity in particular. Because in this case, Jesus invites a non-religious, very sinful person to follow him. And so let me set up the scene. Jesus has been traveling on a boat on this, it's called the Sea of Galilee, which is in northern Israel. And uh, <coughs> he traveled on this boat. Uh, it's more like a big lake from city to city. He was ministering and teaching. And so well, anyway, he lands in a certain city. It was a port city. You got that picture? And he gets off the boat. And then this is what happens. Uh, this is Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. As Jesus went on from there, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at the tax collector's booth. Okay, so let's pause right there. Now, everybody in Jesus' day and everybody reading this in the first century, that would have stirred some really strong, ugly feelings in their gut. And we don't tend to get it today, so I need to help you understand why. You see, uh, Matthew, as a tax collector, was a very wealthy man, and there's nothing wrong with that, but it's how he got wealthy that made him despised by his own people, and it made him the kind of person who lived with a lot of regrets. And... Uh, Matthew was a tax collector and I was trying to think of like how would we get what they felt like in that day and this is what I thought of. They felt about tax collectors in Jesus' day the way we would feel about drug dealers or, or sex traffickers preying on our young people. You know, you get that feeling in your gut. That's how they felt about tax collectors. You see, tax collectors collected taxes for an abusive, hated foreign power. And this is how it worked. They, they got local people and they allowed them to make bids on who was going to collect the taxes and then they gave the right to collect taxes to the highest bidder. And so what normally happened was tax collectors collected more taxes than the Roman government asked for and then they kept the rest. So they became wealthy. And how do you think that made the people feel? Well, they didn't like it at all. And so they were despised by their own people. They were viewed as traitors and thieves, so much so that the Jewish religious leaders officially labeled them as robbers, which meant they were not allowed to participate in the religious activity or the religious rituals of the Jewish faith. They were relig religious outsiders. They were not allowed to practice any kind of Jewish faith. And so let's just say, you got the feeling, you got what these people are like, let's just say that Matthew had lived a messy life. And did you notice in, in the, the verse that we read, Jesus came up to Matthew. This is important. Matthew didn't come to Jesus like Jesus was teaching somewhere. Matthew, Jesus went up to the tax collector's booth, went up to Matthew. And you have to, you have to think, what people were expecting Jesus to say was something to shame him. You know what I mean? Come up to this tax collector, you dirty thief. How could you? Shame on you. I bet your mama's proud of you. That's what they expected Jesus to say. That's not what he said. He met Matthew where he was, stealing money. And this is what he said. Follow me. He said, follow me, he told him. And Matthew got up and followed him. What? Now, I do want you to understand that when Jesus, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi, 
And so when Jesus said, follow me, this wasn't like, hey, follow me, let's go for a walk. Uh, that term, follow me, in Jesus' day was how a rabbi would call somebody to be one of his disciples. So it's like Jesus was saying, I want you to be devoted to me. But, but this is what's significant about it. When a rabbi said, follow me, he was saying, I want you to identify with me. I'm your rabbi. But he was also saying, I choose to identify with you. And when Matthew was asked, follow me, it shocked him. And he stood up and he left everything and he followed Jesus. Isn't that amazing? And, and here's the thing about Matthew standing up and following Jesus. One, he had to start where he was. His life was not in a good place, but he started where he was. Isn't that awesome? And Jesus didn't set it up. So let me explain what I mean. He didn't go, okay, now Matthew, you know, I'd like you to follow me, but first of all, you gotta get your act together, okay? So I need you to go, you know, like give the money back to all the people you stole money from, and, you know, show them something. And I want you to start going to those uh, religious services, you know, them synagogue things, and, you know, get your act together. Show me something. Then you come follow me. Now, now what he did. <laughs> he invited Matthew where he was. He said, follow me. And here's, here's what's significant about Matthew's response. Matthew, you, you understand, Matthew didn't understand everything about everything. In fact, he probably understood very little about what he was being asked to do. I mean, he may have heard about Jesus before, but this is the first time he met him. But he took a step of faith. Where he was, he took a step of faith toward Jesus. And he risked, and he said, I'll follow you. And that is what following Jesus is all about. It's about starting where you are and taking the next step of faith. And what's beautiful about this invitation is Jesus invited all kinds of people to follow him. Uh, he, he invited, and it, it's so important for you to go back and read his story. He invited the righteous and the non-righteous, the religious and the non-religious. I said it before, the sinner and the saints. He invited, hey, he, he invited the prophets and the prostitutes. He said, follow me right where you are. You can't go back and change your past. So just where you are, start there and follow me. So if you forget everything else I've said, Here's what the Christian movement is about. Here's what the church movement is about, the movement Jesus started. Follow Jesus. That's it. That's what it's about. And so I need you to know that's what this church is about. We're about getting people to follow Jesus wherever they are. Now the question, so that means the only question you need to ask yourself right now is, am I following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? Because that's the resolution I want you to make. Now, now I want you to notice what happens next. The story doesn't stop there. Okay, so notice what happens next because the scene changes. Next verse. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him. Not just some, how many? Many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. So, so obviously this takes place hours later, maybe probably days later. I'm thinking this happened like a day or two later because Matthew had to have time to get the party together. So he throws this big party. So now Jesus has not just come up to the tax collector's booth. He goes to his house. And you have to imagine how this made people felt. He, he goes to a rich guy's house who is known as a thief 
and he eats with a bunch of other thieves and then sinners. And so let me explain who the sinners were. It's a very technical term uh, given by the Jewish religious leaders to people who had broken so many of the religious laws that they finally got to a point where they said, I give up, and they stopped trying. You, you know what I mean? They, they tried to keep the religious laws. It was too much, and so they just gave up trying. And so those were people that the Jewish religious leaders called sinners. So you got the picture? There's this big party with non-religious, sinful people, and it's a beautiful uh, picture. And what's, what's even more shocking about what Jesus did here is that he was eating with them at his house. And so I think sometimes it's hard for us to, con to, to get the concept of this today because in the ancient Middle East, when you went into someone's home and you ate with them, it was one of the most intimate forms of relationship you could have. You know, because it's not like we do today where, you know, you come in and you eat your food in 10 minutes and you go on to your next, you know, next game on your phone or the next activity you're doing. You know, come on, that's how we do it. In Jesus' day, a meal like this took hours, and they would lean on their elbows around a table, and they'd be talking. There'd be conversation. There'd be connection. There was community. And this, this is what's significant about it. Jesus was building relationships with notoriously messy sinners. And you understand that Jesus did that on purpose. Because he, it's like he was saying, look, I'm starting this movement. I need everybody to understand what my movement is about. My movement is for all people, wherever they are in their journey. And you see, when he, when he ate dinner with Matthew and all those sinners, he was creating culture for his movement. And it's like he was letting us all know, this is my kind of movement. And we're going to have all kinds of sinful people here, wherever they are in their journey, and it's going to get messy. So I want you to get this. So Jesus would invite people to follow him before they believed. He invited people to follow him before they behaved and got their act together. That's what a relationship is all about. And so in this, Jesus is letting us know, my movement is for all people, wherever they are in their journey. I want them to follow me, but you do understand. Okay, so I need to speak to my city church folk. That makes things messy. You know what I mean? Because that means we're inviting people to join us on the journey uh, before they believe what we believe or before they behave like we behave. And we gotta be okay with that. It's messy. Well, the religious leaders who sort of saw what was going on, they didn't like it. And so they asked Jesus a question. They actually asked one of his disciples that they thought, I think they thought it might shame Jesus. And instead, Jesus turned it around and used it to cast vision for his, for his movement. I love this. I like when Jesus gets passive aggressive. Uh, this, is, <laughs> this is Matthew 9, verse 11. <clears throat> okay. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. Go and learn what this means. And he's quoting a Jewish prophet. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. For I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. And I want, us, I want us to get this. Jesus quoted one of the Jewish prophets who was sent to confront the Jewish people, the religious people who had settled for religious ritual, which was the sacrifice. Nothing wrong with the sacrificial system. God created it. But they were going through the, have you ever gone through the motions of a religious ritual and it didn't really mean anything to you? 
That's what they were doing. That, they were going through the religious motions of sacrifice, but they, they were neglecting mercy, which is what people actually need. Mercy is for people who need forgiveness. Mercy is for people who have messiness in their lives. Mercy is for people who want to be reconciled in their relationship with God. And Jesus right here, again, it's sort of like he let everybody know, this is what my movement is about. My movement's for sinners. They're all welcome. They can all follow me wherever they are, then come with me. Jesus said, my movement is for messy people who need mercy. That's what my movement's all about. You see how relational that is? And he invites those people, wherever they are, even if they're standing in their mess like Matthew, he says, hey, come follow me. Come follow me. And so that, you know, that's the kind of a church we're going to be. Now, you see, most religious systems, that's why I'm spending so much time on this, most religious systems say, say something like this, you need to believe what we believe, and you need to behave like we behave, then you can come join our movement. Otherwise, we're going to exclude you. You ever, you ever experienced that or felt that? Come on. Jesus did the opposite. <laughs> he said, hey, you come follow me. Oh, yeah, before you believe, before you behave, that's okay. Just where you are right now, start following me. And, and so, again, I want to speak to my city church folks. So here, here's where, where, where this is important for us. Jesus is saying, my movement, because I know some of you do believe and you do behave. And I just want to say to you, well done. But Jesus' movement is so that those who have been following him, you know, and have gotten used to following him, create a culture and an environment where people who don't believe and don't behave feel loved and welcomed and where they feel mercy, not judgment. And yeah, that makes things messy. And so uh, that's why we call City Church a messy church. And so, uh, again, I'm going to say something to my city church folk. The scriptures tell us that we are, the, the church is the body of Christ on the earth, right? He, he's in heaven in the spirit, but we are his body on the earth, which means we are the closest thing to Jesus anybody's going to experience in physical form on this earth. We're, we're, a, we're a body, not a building. We're a people, not a place. We're a, we're a movement, not a meeting. You know what I'm saying? And that means we have to convey the heart of Jesus on the earth to others. That's why we're spending all this time. Our job is to help people who maybe aren't behaving, maybe don't believe. It's to help them feel mercy and feel love. How about that that is what actually attracts them to Jesus' movement? Hello? And so I, I, want, I want you to understand, City Church welcomes all people wherever they are in their spiritual journey. I've said it before, but I'm going to say it again. We welcome the righteous and the non-righteous, the religious and the non-religious, the sinner and the saint. And, and you know, can I quote the great theologian George Strait on this? Well, be yeah, We invite all the exes that live in Texas. <laughs> it's, it's, it's all the exes. Okay. Hey, ex-addict, great. Ex-con, great. Ex-gang member, great. You're welcome here. And even ex-Lakers. We're talking mercy here. All kidding aside, messy churches like City Church give people hope 
that if they start following Jesus, he can make something beautiful from whatever messiness they've experienced. And so that's, what I'm, that's the resolution I'm asking you to make today. Follow Jesus. Wherever you are, follow Jesus. Now, now I want to make just a couple minutes. I want to make two observations about Jesus' interaction with Matthew that I think is important, and then I'm done. Okay, first observation. Being a sinner doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. It's actually a prerequisite. You understand that everybody Jesus ever invited to follow him was a sinner. Now, okay, let's acknowledge that this sinfulness is like a spectrum. You know, some of us have committed more sins and some of us have committed maybe worse sins, but we're all on the spectrum, right? And, and, and like, can we remember that the only people who resisted Jesus and rejected Jesus were self-righteous people who didn't think they needed a savior? And let's look at Matthew. He was on the sin the lot part of the spectrum, right? And isn't it interesting that Jesus said, hey, follow, follow me, but he didn't say, but first you have to repent, first you have to commit to this, first you have to do that. He just said, hey, look, where you are, follow me. And so you know what that tells me, and especially those of you who feel like maybe you're not worthy? It tells me that there is nothing you've done, there's nothing you have said in your past up to this day, there's nothing you've done, there's no addiction you're struggling with, no problem you're facing that excludes you from following Jesus today. Second observation I want to make. It's all about taking a step of faith. All right, second observation. This is a, being an unbeliever doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. Now, that may surprise you, but you do understand that everybody that Jesus ever said, follow me to, didn't believe in him yet. Matthew probably didn't even know who Jesus really was fully yet. But here's what happened. Jesus would say, follow me. So what was he doing? He was inviting them into a relationship. And then here's what happened along the way. They heard his teachings. They saw the way he lived his life. They witnessed his miracles. And they believed in him. And that's what Jesus' movement is all about. He invites you to follow him even if you don't believe yet. That's cool. That was true with, with everybody that followed him in the first days. And once again, I want to be clear. Jesus moved, you see, most other movements say you have to act a certain way and then you can follow us. Jesus says, follow me and I'll change the way you think and change the way you live. But it, but it comes from my relationship. Track with me. Jesus is saying, follow me and you will believe in me. Follow me and you'll want to change the way you behave because I'm going to show you a better life. You see where I'm going? And some of you, Jesus is saying, follow me. I'll help you with your marriage. I'll help you with your family. I'll help you with your finances. You see, some of you think that in 2020, what you need is a, a better marriage. And what you're really thinking is, I need a better spouse. If she would just get her active, he would just get his act together. Well, my marriage would be better. You know what your marriage needs uh, in 2020? It doesn't need a better spouse. It needs a better you. Jesus says, follow me and I'll make you a better you. That's what's going to help your marriage. Some of you think your family, what, what you need most in 2020 is better kids. You think, if my kids would just get their act together. You know what your family needs in 2020? A better you. Follow Jesus, and he'll change your heart. You, some of you think, you know, what, you know what you need most? You need a better paycheck. You think that's going to fix your finances. It will not. You know what Jesus is saying? Follow me. I'm going to show you how to think about money and possessions in a way that's going to rock your world. Follow Jesus. Okay, so let me get practical. 
What, what am I talking about? When I first got serious about following Jesus, uh, I got myself, because I, you know, I didn't fully know what that meant, so I got myself a version of the Bible that's easy to understand, so not King James Version. And I got a study Bible, you know, that had some notes to help me understand stuff, because, I mean, frankly, this stuff happened 2,000 years ago. I, it, some of it's weird, okay? But the notes help. And then, okay, so there's four books in the Christian scriptures that tell the story of Jesus' life and unpack his teachings. And so I just, I started reading through those four books of the Bible over and over and over and over. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. And so what I'm inviting you to do, maybe a step of following Jesus, is start in January, read Matthew, read one book a month, and then just keep going through the same four books, and that means by the end of 2020, you will have gone through each of them three times. And my prayer each night, so what I did was every night before I went to bed, I read a chapter or two, and then I just pray, said, Jesus, what, is, what does this say to me about how to follow you? And I'm going to follow you. Whatever decision I need, I'm going to follow you. And it changed my life. And so I'm, I'm asking you to join me on this journey. Take that step. Wherever you are in your spiritual journey, today you can choose to follow him. And that's what I'm asking you to do. That's the resolution I'm asking you to make. And so I'm going to pray for you. And I... I was meditating on, on how to pray for you, and I felt like the went on a long walk yesterday, and I felt like the Lord gave me three different kinds of people to pray for. So first, I'm praying for those of you who would say, you know, I have never followed Jesus in my life. Cool, I'm glad you're here. Welcome, uh, video cafe online, welcome. Just know you're welcome here, wherever you are. I'm, I'm praying that you'll take a first step of faith, like Matthew did, and follow him, whatever that is. Second group of people I, I felt like I wanted to pray for is for those of you who would say, you know, Pastor, I used to follow Jesus, but I'm not following just him now. In fact, I'm running from him, maybe. I want to say to you, stop running. Turn around wherever you are and come back. Follow him. Third group I, I'm praying for is those of you who would say, you know, Pastor, I've been, I've been following Jesus for a year, maybe five years, maybe 20 years. And I do want to say to you, well done. Well done. What's the next step of faith he wants you to take? Don't stop. It's a movement. Has he been stirring something in your heart, a step of faith? Then that's what it means for you this year to follow him. Take that step of faith. Take that risk and follow him. So Lord, Lord, I did my part. I, I've asked people to follow you and I ask that you would uh, lead people. I pray that they would sense your presence. I pray that you would bring pictures or words or inner impressions in their hearts to let them know, uh, first of all, your love for them, but also that you are leading them. You are their shepherd. And I pray that you would help us each one as we take steps of faith in following you in 2020. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you. <laughs> Uh, hey, now, this is the first, this, this is what we're focused on the rest of the year. And I do want to say to my city church folk, when you give here, you help us create a culture where people like Matthew and his friends feel welcomed and loved and where they find mercy. And that's what people, that's what we all need. Hello. And so uh, I'm, I'm asking you to give generously, be faithful in your giving. And my prayer for you is that God would surprise you with his blessing in 2020. Now, next week, 
we're, we're going to continue this series, and I'm, I'm going to unpack for you why I think you should follow Jesus. I don't know if you've noticed, I didn't really answer that question. Next week, I want to talk to you about why I think you ought to follow Jesus. Uh, and then our prayer team is going to be available. Y'all, come on down. Uh, we believe in the power of prayer. And if there's anything we can do to pray for you as you follow Jesus, please let us do that. God bless you. Go in peace. We'll see you next week. <laughs>